You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The IRS does not treat me well. They treat me like the Tea Party, like they treated the Tea Party. No party in any Congress should have the authority to rummage around in your tax returns. They don't have any concern about their taxes. They shouldn't be worried about releasing uh, their tax returns. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. This is a win for the Biden administration that they will not talk about. Today we must all say clearly and forcefully, anti-Semitism and all forms of hate and violence in this country have no safe harbor in America. Period. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. They finally dropped a budget. But can they actually pass it in time for Christmas? Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as lawmakers drop a more than 4,000-page bill to fund the government and conservative Republicans are pushing back. We'll tell you what's in the bill and what's out ahead with Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick. And we'll talk about it with Maya McGinnis from the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. It appears Donald Trump's tax returns are about to go public. They're debating it right now in the Ways and Means Committee. And we're watching so you don't have to. And the White House facing a deadline to respond to the Supreme Court's ruling on Title 42. We'll have more with immigration attorney David Leopold later this hour. And our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Chanzano and Republican strategist Lisa Camuso-Miller, former communications director at the RNC. It was a late night for a lot of folks like Jack Fitzpatrick, who we're going to talk with in just a moment. The budget dropped at 1.30 in the morning. That's the way it goes around here. And so it was a pleasure for the majority leader, Chuck Schumer, to hit the floor once the sun finally came up. Here he is. I have good news. With days left before Christmas, Democrats and Republicans have reached an omnibus agreement completed at 1.15 a.m. early this morning. In the very early hours of the morning, Chairman Leahy and Ranking Member Shelby released a long-sought bipartisan, bicameral Cameral Omnibus Appropriations Bill for Fiscal Year 2023. There it is, the majority leader with his final piece of major business of the year. Imagine imagine being able to take a victory lap like that for, for doing your job, you know, getting up in front of the podium. I just want to say, even Mitch McConnell was taking the victory lap this morning. Listen to the Republican leader in the Senate. This omnibus bill, it'll be on the floor. Uh, provides a real dollar increase for the defense baseline and a real dollar cut for the non-defense baseline if you exclude veterans. That is 
absolutely critical in breaking the pattern we've had in the past when we've ended up in one of these situations where every time Republicans tried to get an increase in defense, we would, in effect, have to pay a ransom to the Democrats on the domestic side. So everybody's going home happy. Uh, $1.7 trillion, as we told you, the omnibus package to fund the government through September. 4,155 pages. We'll get to questions about who's ever going to read it. As we're joined by Jack Fitzpatrick, uh, the Bloomberg government budget expert who's propping his eyelids open for us right now. I presume, Jack, uh, welcome. Uh, I appreciate you being here. Is is it going to pass? Uh, it seems like it has the votes. The question is more on timing and what amendment votes the conservatives are going to demand. I will say it, it, it's going to be a close vote in the House, but it's leaning toward, you know, it looks like this thing's on a pretty good track. Uh, but again, the, the real question is they wait so long until uh, right before the deadline that because of the way the Senate does business, they're probably going to need unanimous consent to have a time agreement, because usually without a time agreement, without unanimous consent, it can take about a week to pass a bill in the Senate. We don't have a week. Uh, so that puts the ball in the court of the conservatives who sometimes like to dig in their heels because they don't like this way of doing business. Your Rand Paul, Mike Lee, uh, yeah, right. Mike Braun types. And they, they, they have not threatened to shut down. They have said they don't expect to shut down. They've also pointed out that it wouldn't really be their fault that this is how it's going if there were a shutdown and they haven't decided exactly how they're going to, what demands they're going to make. Uh, so it, once again, they're taking it right down to the limit. If there's anybody in the Senate who wants to shut the government down, it looks like they could. Uh, but no one's explicitly threatening a shutdown. It seems like they're all sort of figuring out what their strategies are for amendment votes. We have breaking news uh, here, Jack. You might have heard rumblings about this earlier because I know you're roaming the halls of the Capitol. Uh, but President Zelensky is going to address the Congress, the U.S. Congress, in person tomorrow. Uh, we've had him address a joint session of Congress virtually, but this is a big deal. Uh, and, and knowing that 45, what was it, $45 billion in supplemental funding was approved for Ukraine as part of this bill, I guess this is his way of saying thank you. Yeah, this is a big one, and I'm glad we just got confirmation on the terminal because I know about yeah. half a dozen of our colleagues were working on chasing that down as <laughs> yes, I called they in. Uh, it's it's a big deal. Yes, it's it's right to note that there is a $45 billion supplemental uh, spending measure for Ukraine aid in this omnibus. Um, there have been some questions about really where House Republicans come down in the the firmness of their support for Ukraine. The yeah, right. Senate Republicans are definitely there for it. Uh, to have a, a joint address to Congress, an in-person address especially, would be a very significant moment. And it would come at a, a pretty pivotal time where people uh, who are, are allies of Ukraine and want the U.S. to stay really invested in it want to re-up that sense of momentum uh, because these kinds of agreements are going to be a bit more difficult when it's a Republican House and a Democratic Senate. Yeah. Uh, so any sort of show of unity with him there would be a very significant thing. Jack, thanks for checking in and great reporting. We've been following uh, Jack's reporting from Bloomberg government on the terminal throughout this whole process, and we will do so likely through what I'm guessing will be late Friday as we add Maya McGinnis to the mix here. I'm delighted to say that she's with us here just as we learn that President Zelensky will be addressing Congress tomorrow with the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. She is, in fact, the president. Maya, what do you make of this? Just as we're 
preparing for a vote uh, on, on, among many other things, supplemental funding for the war in Ukraine. Right. Well, I think the point that I would make is that these are issues that there are so many important things thrown into this massive end of the year, last minute legislation that none of the individual components are getting the attention they deserve because this in and of itself, the funding for Ukraine, the fact that he will be addressing Congress, this is a huge deal. It will be happening just at the same point that they are failing to read the 4,000 page legislation on what Mm. they are about to pass. And it goes to, I think the real issue of oversight and paying sufficient attention to the individual very critical components that make up this huge budget, none of which are getting the attention they deserve. You've got to be happy we're not talking about a CR, though, right now, correct? Or would you have preferred that Republicans well, got, got the reins on this next year? I actually think a CR would have limited funding in a better way. So oh. let's, let's take a step back. The first point I would make is the fact that anybody is proud of getting this legislation done is just an abomination, given that we are one quarter of the way yeah. through the fiscal year, yeah, which starts on October 1st already, right? Three, three months late, and we're still seeing all sorts of self-congratulations, and there'll be oh, all yeah. sorts of backslapping on the, on the floor. So that already is a huge problem. The second is that we are in a moment of massively high debt levels and massively high inflation, hopefully improving, but still exceedingly high. And this is a bill that's funding most areas of the government at above inflation. So that means it will actually contribute further upwards pressure on inflation. And Would that product have looked different if Republicans wrote it next year? Well, it depends. It would have looked different and the spending would be lower, but there would have been a yeah. bunch of tax cuts, which didn't make it into this bill. Those also would have been inflationary. So we would have had likely a a pro-inflation bill, no matter who was designing it, it just would have looked different. I am actually relieved that the big tax cuts that they were talking about on both sides of the aisle, extending some of the Trump tax cuts in return yeah. for the child tax credit policies, which might make sense, but weren't paid for. I'm relieved that those weren't in this bill and they would have been bad for the debt and bad for inflation. Jack mentioned Rand Paul. Uh, he and uh, some of his colleagues from the Republican side of the Senate uh, who are very upset about this, held a briefing today. They're pushing back on this. And, and you know, he might be singing to you in this case, uh, Maya, because, you know, there, you know, the fact of the matter is, to the point you just made, it's three months late. Listen to Senator Rand Paul. I brought with me the Omni, 4,155 pages. It's all stacked up there. When was it produced? In the dead of the night, 1.30 in the morning when it was released. Now, people argue that it's conservatives' fault. It's you don't have the Christmas spirit. Somehow you're holding up government. Well, whose job is it to produce this? The people in charge of spending. The people in charge of both of the parties. When did they know that this would be necessary? Well, it's in the law, September 30th. But does that mean, Maya, that you hold this up and potentially interrupt government funding on Christmas weekend? Well, a lot of legislating gets done based on uh, policymakers' need for their vacations and holidays, and that's not the right way to legislate. What I think we should do is we should have a temporary uh, funding of the government, short-term, and then before there's any vote that's taken, people should really have the time to become familiar with what's in the bill. There shouldn't be a single member of Congress who doesn't know what's in the bill. And I can promise you that there is probably 
no one who has a very good overall sense of what's in the bill. And so I, I, there, there are no heroes in this moment. The budget committees completely failed by not putting forth budgets. I don't look at this as Republicans versus Democrats, so I know that's the way it seems like everything is right now. I look at this as our political leaders failing to do the most important job there is in the beginning of the governing process, which is laying out a plan and a budget and figuring out how to finance it. And in the end, there's always sort of wait until the backs are up against the wall and budget in a very bad way. So, yes, I think they need to take the time to figure out what's in this bill, figure out where we could have cut, what funding increases we should have, how to pay for the things that are going to go up so they're not inflationary. And I think it's uh, damaging for the country that they're not taking the time to do any of those things. And they should have started this months ago. Thank you. And that that's something that, gosh, I don't know if we'll ever get our arms around that again. The president of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Thank you, Maya, for being here and adding your voice to the as, by the way, Mike Lee and Rand Paul, and Rick Scott are standing there in the uh, the Senate briefing area, you know, with the podium and the flags. They've got a desk set up with the four thousand one hundred fifty five pages on it, which is comical on its own. But they also have these danger and warning signs hanging skull and crossbones Red warning hanging in front of this thing. Four signs. $1.7 trillion of hazardous debt. One of them says the other omnibus with the skull and crossbones. Another one. Greatest threat to our national security. $1.7 trillion added to the debt. Let's assemble the panel. Jeannie Shanzano is here. Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst, along again with Lisa Camusa Miller. I'm glad to say uh, Republican strategist, formerly comms director at the RNC. Welcome back. Great to have you both here. Uh, we This is pretty remarkable, Jeannie. They finished the, the job, uh, number one, and I realize no one's going to agree on it. But to think that President Zelensky is dropping into Washington, D.C. as this thing goes to a vote is remarkable. It is remarkable. What I understand is this is his first trip out of the Ukraine since the war began. So that's about 300 days ago. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm glad to hear that you confirm the trip is happening because we were hearing it. But, you know, it seemed so uncertain because, of course, right. they're undergoing great shelling over there. But it raises two real questions for Republicans. Number one, they were going to vote in a group against this bill. And as Jack just mentioned in the House, this was going to be a close vote. You wonder if he does speak before a joint session, is it going to change any GOP minds. And the other thing is all the weariness from Kevin McCarthy up and down the aisle on the Republican side to funding Ukraine, including former President Trump. Does that get changed because of its visit, his visit rather? So a really important moment for him to be making this trip if indeed he does make it and speak to a joint session tomorrow. Yeah, boy, what do we think uh, today, Lisa? I thought I'd be asking you about, you know, a bunch of boring math in this budget. And that's a big part of the story we're talking about here. But the optics now of President Zelensky involved in the politics all this couple days before Christmas, what's going on in Washington? Well, I think that it's exactly what we can expect at this time of year. It's unfortunate, though, because I think there is a race to get this omnibus passed and done before Friday. Um, I know that there's also other factors at play here too, Joe. There's also a snowpocalypse that's coming through. So Republicans are saying the vote happens tomorrow. Democrats say Thursday. And I suspect the reason why they say Thursday is because there will be a joint session. I also don't think, regardless of the fact that this is a monumental speech, it'll be remarkable to hear from him that Omnibus has more support for uh, Ukraine. I'm not necessarily sure that Republicans in the House will be um, at least 
wise enough to read the room and know that this is definitely the right way to go and the right thing to do. It would be interesting to see how they respond afterwards. Well, yeah. Is this going to impact politics on the Republican side of the aisle here? Or minds are made up at this point on what you're doing with the budget, I presume. I think so. And I also think that this is an opportunity for grandstanding. You know, unfortunately, so many of the people that are outspoken about uh, taking a second look at how much funding we're giving to Ukraine are also they're hard and they're they're dyed in the wool and they're they firmly decided they are not in favor of it. Unfortunately, though, that's not the way the American way is. Right. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how their posture adjusts. If it does at all, I suspect it will not. What do you think of this uh, product? $1.7 trillion of hazardous debt I see here on the sign hanging in front of Rand Paul, Jeannie. Both Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell were ready to take victory laps together. I thought maybe they would embrace at some point in front of the media. They both seem to be so pleased uh, with with what they produced. Can can the Rand Pauls and Mike Lees of the Senate slow this down? You know, they could. Yeah, it looked like they were going to hold hands and go romping around the, the Senate floor together. But, you know, they could. Any one senator could hold this thing up. You know, it's hard to know if they will. To Lisa's point, there's this bomb cyclone coming. People want to get home for Christmas. But that said, you know, it's interesting here. Mitch McConnell talk about the parity between defense and non-defense spending, because yeah. we know so little about this bill. It's only been out for several hours. It's four thousand pages. And even if you look at the text on this from the Senate and the House, there's a difference. The House is saying the increase was 9.3% in non-defense and Mitch McConnell saying it was a slightly smaller increase. So the parity they're talking about doesn't seem to match up. That's how little we know. And that's top line at this point. All right. Jeannie and Lisa, stay with us on the fastest hour in politics. We've got breaking news on Title 42 and something important left out of this budget, the Afghan Resettlement Act. Not this time. We'll have more on that next with the panel. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. 
Uh, so we've got a lot to catch up on here, even since we've come on the air this evening on Sound On. Thanks for joining us. We'll reassemble the panel in just a moment with Jeannie and Lisa. First of all, President Zelensky is coming to Washington tomorrow. He's going to be addressing Congress tomorrow night. We don't have a lot of detail on this, but Speaker Nancy Pelosi urged all lawmakers in a letter that went out. And this is what got things going this afternoon to come to Washington for an in-person uh, session on Wednesday night. A very special focus on democracy, she wrote. And, you know, look, it's Washington. Everybody starts reading into this. What the heck does this mean? A couple of couple of cops said something and you've got a story. Yeah. President Zelensky is coming here to speak to Congress tomorrow night. And I will add, presumably, President Biden. Wouldn't he need to be there, too? Okay, we've also heard from the Biden administration on the Title 42 issue. This just happened also since we've started this hour. The administration responding, remember, to the Supreme Court, we talked about it this time yesterday, to allow pandemic era border restrictions to end, saying that justices should reject an effort by Republican state officials. Remember, they were from 19 states to intervene in this legal fight. So Chief Justice John Roberts who put up that filing yesterday, temporarily blocking Title 42 from lifting tomorrow, has got something to consider here. Of course, you know, we know there are there are a lot of people on the border waiting literally for this very policy to be lifted, and that's something that we're going to talk about a little bit later on this hour with an expert immigration attorney, David Leopold, will be here. And then there's the matter of Donald Trump's taxes. Thought that'd be the lead today. I think that's what, number three here. The House Ways and Means Committee is behind doors right now. And I have to tell you, they didn't look like they were really all getting along when they went in there. Kevin Brady, the ranking member, the top Republican on Ways and Means, who's been on this program many times, uh, held a preemptive news briefing just to warn people about what was going to happen. This, again, is a vote to release Donald Trump's tax return six years worth. This is a request that goes back to 2019. Listen to Kevin Brady then on the 4th of April in 2019. No party in any Congress should have the authority to rummage around in your tax returns purely for political reasons. That's the day that the Democratic chair, Richie Neal, requested them. Fast forward this many years. Here's Kevin Brady today. Our concern is not whether the president should have made his tax returns public, as is traditional, nor about the accuracy of his tax returns. That is for the IRS and the taxpayer to determine. Our concern is that, if taken, this committee action will set a terrible precedent that unleashes a dangerous new political weapon that reaches far beyond the former president and overturns decades of privacy protections for average Americans that have existed since the Watergate reforms. From there, Congressman Brady went into the chamber. Richie Neal called the session to order. Within a minute, they were escorting people out of the room. That's the way this was supposed to go. Executive session. But as far as what he just said, let's go back to 2019, back a couple of years. Dan Kildee, Democrat on the Ways and Means Committee, backing up this whole effort, saying that it's actually more than legal. Here's Congressman Kildee. Section 6103 of the code is very clear. The chairman of the Ways and Means Committee can request a copy of these returns, and the IRS commissioner is legally bound to provide them. And to think it's about to be resolved one way or the other. 
Uh, incidentally, Congressman Kildee is going to join us tomorrow on this very program. So we'll have a chance to talk with him three years later uh, from his making that statement. We reassembled a panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano and Lisa Camuso-Miller, former communications director for the RNC. Uh, Lisa, this is going public, right? Is that the, the vote we're going to get tonight? Joe, uh, these tax returns are so elusive. Who could tell? Right? I, know. I mean, there's just no way to know. But I will say that Congressman Brady is a very serious member of Congress. He is very thoughtful about the way he comes to these decisions. He's not the typical performative politician. He is someone that really has probably given this quite a bit of thought. Set aside Donald Trump or anything else. I think he's most concerned, based on what I saw in that press conference, about the precedent that it sets going forward, not just for Republicans, but for Democrats and for other leaders. Um, he even mentioned the Supreme Court. That's, you know, I wanted to ask you about that, as a matter of fact. Jeannie, your thought on this, that, that you know, not only could it be yours or mine, but that Congress could start releasing the tax returns of Supreme Court justices. Is that the level of precedent we're talking about here? That's what the Republicans are claiming, and that's what, quite frankly, people who are opposed, and they're not just Republicans to this release, that there's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. The reality is, though, to the quote you just played, this is absolutely legal under Section 6103. Does that make it something they should be doing is another question. But there is precedent for it. It happened in 1973-74 with Nixon. It happened again post-2014. So there is some precedent for it. I do think it's an open question whether this is a dangerous sort of norm to be setting. Yeah. Because, of course, these kinds of norms have a way of coming back and hitting the, the offending party. So, you know... When when the Republicans decided that they were going to go after, say, somebody like Bill Clinton and impeach him when that hadn't been done in you know about 100 years, the you know, the Democrats came right back with two against Trump. And that's the argument that these norm breaking aspects come back to hit the, the offending party. They have to be very careful about this. I suspect because there's what, 42 members of this committee in executive session right now, they are having a very raucous uh, yeah. discussion to get on, uh, uh, you know, to, to get on the record here as to what they think, because, of course, this is going to be part of the legislative record going forward. Yeah, I don't want to pull you into this something, make it something personal, Lisa, but you 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 made that point. Kevin Brady is a serious individual. That's why we have him on the broadcast. That's why he's the ranking member on the Ways and Means Committee, uh, a thoughtful committee, as he called it today in that briefing. But I've got to tell you, he and, and the chairman, uh, Richard Neal, uh, did not look like they were happy to be sitting next to each other. The tone inside that very brief uh, business meeting before they went into his executive session was was cold. I, I, I get a sense that as Kevin Brady prepares to retire, this is actually a big deal for him. This is personal for him. I'm sure it's legacy. I'm sure he looks at this as something that could leave a long legacy behind him. But also, too, don't forget, there's still blood in the water. The Democrats are still enjoying yesterday's victory. They're still enjoying the fact that uh, the January 6th committee closed with with, um, you know, calls for indictment and other articles that will come forward. So they definitely have. Uh, that level of heft on their back as they enter this discussion. But Joe, what also too is good for the listeners to know is when they enter that executive session, it's because they've asked all staff to step out so that anybody that's in the room, that if the information comes out before it's announced, they'll know who in fact it is that's given it to the media. So who's, that's interesting. That's great. Who goes to the stakeout after this meeting, presuming that Democrats vote to release the tax returns Jeannie, is it the chair or is it going to be Kevin Brady not very happy? 
I, I, I suspect we will see both. And, you know, one thing all members have to be careful of is the arguments that Republicans make against this now when they are pushing to release Hunter Biden's tax records in the next session in just a matter of a month or two are going to come back to haunt them and vice versa Democrats. So it is a very, <laughs> very <laughs> tough thing to have to go on record because in the 118th, as power shifts, you can bet this comes back if indeed they vote to release. And that'll yeah. be a public vote. So we will know who voted for. And I uh, presume right. it will be a partisan, part, straight party line vote. Is that a that- fair comparison, though? We've got Hunter Biden. Be, we're comparing to a former president of the United States. Well, it could be the DHS secretary, right? It could be anybody yeah. they are investigating. I don't think it's a fair comparison, but they're talking about the release of private individuals, presidents, members of the Supreme Court. They're saying it's a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, so, right. you know, it's not going to be fair. What it is going to be is political. Well, does it help uh, Kevin McCarthy's hand at all the way this is being conducted here in, in terms of Republicans, Lisa, wanting to get some continuity here when, when they assemble in January? Is it a motivator? I'm not sure it's a motivator. I will tell you something. I had a tip this week um, that I feel like is relative to this conversation. And that is that as we enter into that leadership fight and we still talk about the fact that the speakership hasn't been decided, Joe, I just talked to some friends on K Street this week and they seem to say that regardless of what happens on January 3rd, whoever the speaker is that emerges, that speaker will not be the speaker on December 3rd because the debt ceiling, that fight that's coming next mm-hmm. year, the must-have fight, uh, is going to change the the look of leadership over the course of the year next year. I think we're in for a rocky, what? rocky So somebody's road. getting fired is what you're saying. <laughs> Could happen. Wow. All right. I love this. With the scoop from K Street, Lisa Camuso-Miller back on the program. Thank you, Lisa and Jeannie. They'll be back with us. They're here for the hour. We're going to turn next to this Title 42 development and an important conversation with some context from immigration attorney David Leopold. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So the Biden administration had till 5 p.m. Washington time today to get back to the Supreme Court on Title 42. They sure pushed it to the last minute. I thought maybe they'd have these letters written. The, the administration urging the court not shockingly, to allow Title 42 restrictions to end. Calling on the Supreme Court justices to reject this effort by Republican state officials to intervene in legal fight. Uh, This is just a day after, was just about 24 hours ago, which is why we talked about it right here yesterday. Chief Justice John Roberts temporarily blocked Wednesday's scheduled lifting of the Title 42 restrictions as the court considers a state's bid for a longer delay. So uh, it's going to be some time, but they don't have the luxury of, you know, waiting around looking at the calendar here, particularly if you're the mayor of El Paso. Oscar Leeser said, uh, upon the news here from the Supreme Court, they've got to keep planning like it's going to end this week uh, because, you know, they're looking across the border and they know what is likely coming. Here he is. Mexico red line waters, and uh, there's probably over... 20,000 over there today that are waiting for Title 42 to be lifted. 20,000 waiting for the headline on the terminal. So the mayor says they're they're driving ahead with everything they've got. Thousands of cots are in place, medical supplies. He says the Red Cross is on hand. Here he is again. The federal government has been um, really good to El Paso, to be honest with you. I know that we've heard some comments that uh, 
the federal government had not been working with us. The federal government has been working with us. The federal government has uh, given us resources. The mayor of El Paso. As we talk with David Leopold, partner and chair of the immigration practice at Ulmer Byrne, former president of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, it's great to have you back, David. Does the on-again, off-again, start-and-stop deal that this has turned into in the courts largely uh, had an impact on security at the border? Well, look, I mean, obviously you want to have a secure border, but I, I think, you know, in looking at this, this what this has become is a, is a sideshow, Title 42 sideshow. I mean, let's remember that Title 42, that's the health statute, that was cynically yes. put in place by the Trump administration at the behest of Stephen Miller um, to use to, to keep people out of the country and to keep people from applying for asylum. It was never really meant um, as, a, as, a, as an immigration statute. It is a health statute. Mm-hmm. Right. So ultimately, it had to come down. And the and, CDC itself is trying to bring this down. Absolutely. I mean, there's no need for it anymore. And what's interesting here is you have... You know, people who, uh, you know, the governors of some of these states, Abbott, for example, of of Texas, Greg Abbott, you know, against all these COVID restrictions, except this one. Right. So you can see the blatant hypocrisy. And and really what's got to happen here, I think, Joe, is that the Republican Party has got to get its act together and and stop using the courts to obstruct any kind of progress uh, in immigration and, and, and stop these anti-immigrant judicial pipelines that they've created going up from the Fifth Circuit in Texas yeah. all the way up to the Supreme Court. They've got to they've got to start to be constructive about this. We need an orderly, fair immigration system, and that's what the American people want. I appreciate your view there, and that's very much the view of the administration, right? But are we actually ready, David, to lift uh, these restrictions? When you hear the mayor there saying, I'm looking at 20,000 people are ready for the news that Title 42 is up. You know, it's, it's not like there's a news vacuum on the other side of the border. What happens at that point to our infrastructure on the border? Well, look, I mean, we are ready because it is going to happen. And I applaud the mayor for, I, I think, in the report there that there were beds and Red Cross and, yeah. and uh, resources available. And that's what America does. We take, par- we take care of people who are in need. That's what we've always done. And let's remember, Joe, that the buildup at the border is a result of the fact that this Title 42 has been in place for so long mm-hmm. and has caused backups. So it's a short-term issue. I mean, is it creating a national security problem? Absolutely not. America does great things. We've put people on the moon. We've <laughs> rebuilt Europe after, after, the, after World War II with the Marshall Plan. Yeah, we can solve the problem. Yeah, we can solve this problem. Well, we're talking of, about legal immigration here, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this has nothing to do with people who are crossing the border illegally, uh, and, and they frequently get mixed in, into the same conversation. How secure right. is our national border, our, our southern border, rather, as the president asks for, for billions more in supplemental funding from this Congress? Well, I would argue that the southern border is actually more secure, very secure. I mean, we talk about people who are apprehended at the southern border. Well, they're apprehended because we have security at the southern border. And that's the whole point. Um, And you have this, this, um, I would say, cynical mix of, I think you just pointed it out, uh, criminality and and immigration. Coming to the United States to apply for asylum is absolutely legal. Uh, The Congress made it very clear. It yeah. doesn't matter how you get here. You can apply for asylum if you are, are in, in fear of persecution. So what we need is order and we need 
we need to stop the chaos at the border. And the only way we're going to do that is if Congress uh, gives us a new immigration plan, brings us up to the, to the 21st century. Um, we haven't reformed this immigration law in, in 40 years, and it, it's high, high time to do it. And that's what the American people want. You wonder why it's so difficult to even envision that at this point. David, thank you. Uh, the view of David Leopold. Uh, he's now with Ulmer Byrne, former president of American Immigration Lawyers Association. Uh, I'd love to hear from the panel to the extent that we have time on this. Lisa Camusa Miller and Jeannie Shanzano. Uh, Lisa, is this the most secure our border has ever been? Well, David is the expert, and I certainly I appreciate his comments so much. I think the one thing that sort of strikes my my heartstrings right now, especially that we're in the holiday season, is that, look, this is a humanitarian crisis, right? I mean, this is something that absolutely has to get addressed. But we talked about it earlier in the show. If a budget can't get done the way it used to get done, where we had individual uh uh, funding bills that would come through for each and every department that we handle. If we're celebrating an omnibus at the end of the year, because that's the best we can do, mm-hmm. I think it makes it very, very dire that the that the possibility of getting immigration reform done in the next year uh, is really just out of uh, out of the realm of possibility. Jeannie, the president's asking for three and a half billion dollars in in extra funding for the border, specifically here in this end of year request. Uh, we know that, that that whether it was up to him or not, they just got some time. They just bought themselves some time because of this stay from the Supreme Court. Can these two combine in a way that they prevent a crisis at the border or is it already too late? You know, likely not. Um, you know, this will eventually, Title Title 42 will eventually be lifted to David's point. It is a sideshow. It's not a policy. The president is asking for more money. We heard from Kamala Harris saying, you know, we're going to increase the number of agents, expedite processing. But that's about all you can do via executive order. David is right. You need Congress to act. The problem is the political incentives are to not act. And that's why nothing is going to happen. And there are solutions galore. This is not an intractable problem, and it's not difficult to resolve. There are so many ideas out there, all of them good, but you have to have the political will. And unfortunately, that's not going to be in place for the 118th Congress. Rick Davis must be having a a facial tick somewhere with all these (laughs) mentions of comprehensive immigration reform. Jeannie Shanzano, Lisa Camuso-Miller with some final thoughts ahead as Carrie Lake takes him to court Indeed, officially now contesting the results of what she calls a sham election in Arizona. We're really doing this, huh? Stay here on the fastest hour in politics on Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. 
Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Remember when everyone freaked out when they unveiled the staging for Barack Obama to receive the nomination out there in Denver at Mile High Stadium? They said those look like Greek columns. Who does he think he is, a god? And of course, it was modeled after the colonnade there at the White House in the Rose Garden. Greek columns. We've come a long way since then. I would point you no further then. Am I saying it right, AmFest, or is it AmFest? From Turning Point USA, this is the big uh, conservative Republican confab where you get in the room, this thing looks like there's going to be a concert or maybe a monster truck show or something. And introducing, this was one of the big headliners, Carrie Lake. Bring it up, Justin. Cue the smoke machines and the pyrotechnics. As she's elevated from under the stage with cameras following her. Massive screens of her face. Some live, some stock footage. Strobe lights. Nobody could hear anything. As the defeated Arizona GOP gubernatorial candidate addresses the supporters in the room, having already been regaled by the likes of Lauren Boebert and Donald Trump Jr. All right, we can't take any more, Justin. It's You've got to see the video of this. You can't stop looking at it. This comes uh, with big news. As an Arizona judge dismisses most of Miss Lake's claims <laughs> that illegal voting and misconduct cost her a victory. She says she lost the election. She's suing to overturn it, but will receive a two-day court hearing starting tomorrow. Having had eight of the 10 counts dropped, and she took, of course, to the video with the fuzzy background to speak with her supporters. Here's Carrie Lake. My resolve to fight for the millions of Arizonans disgusted with years of botched elections is stronger than ever. I want to say thank you to all of you who are praying for me and supporting me in our movement. Please pray for the brave witnesses, whistleblowers, and citizens who saw what happened and documented it and for our patriotic, courageous legal team. And pray for the judge who's overseeing this case. The world is watching what happens here. Uh huh. The world is watching Arizona. Is that what we think? She lost, of course, to Katie Hobbs, uh, the Democrat, by uh, about 17,000 votes. And, you know, look, it was close. 2.6 million votes were cast. Now, Lisa and Jeannie were hoping we'd run out of time before I asked them about this. Uh, but we're really going to go through this, Lisa, or, or is this a sideshow that no one's paying attention to? 
it's like performative politics. Like I said before, it felt like a world wrestling uh, it sure demonstration. It was just bananas. And what is she hiding behind those filters, Joe? I mean, there's so much to unpack here. I, I don't even know where to like start. That. The, where do you get those filters, Jeannie? I need to look like that on camera. She says, buckle up on, on Twitter. That's that's mm. what she says. But she's going to have to buckle up because the judge said you either put up or you're going to be sanctioned. And so maybe that's why she wants people praying for him, because she may not be able to accept those sanctions when she likely loses this thing. And she's still saying she's going to call Katie Hobbs to the witness stand. If you can imagine <laughs> the fiasco that is going to go on out there for this two day trial. The judge dismissed eight of the 10 claims. Most people would take that as kind of bad news uh but is this over this week lisa or we're moving into mar-a-lago who knows i mean i think that this is just part of the sideshow that this has all become right i, I mean, think this would be a great reality show in the making come on you got two more. tv stars trump lake locked into the same florida mansion you can pay me the royalties later lisa camuso miller Jeannie shanzano thanks as ever for a great conversation on the fastest hour in politics, we'll meet you back here tomorrow as President Zelensky addresses Congress in Washington. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.